Welcome to Inbeta, where we discuss the big questions around human rights in the digital age. I'm Charles Bradley, GPD's Executive Director. In the year 2000, less than 20 years ago, only about 7% of the world's population was connected to the internet. It's almost incredible to consider, especially if you live in a highly developed country like the UK, where penetration rates are over 90%. But one of the features of this rapid global digitization has been extreme unevenness. In parts of sub-Saharan Africa and Asia, access rates remain stubbornly low at around a fifth of the population. The stark gap in levels of internet access between developed countries and developing countries is often referred to as the digital divide. But this misses the vast number of more local digital divides within countries. In India, for example, affluent men living in cities are more likely to be connected to the internet than women living in rural areas. Access is a technical challenge, but it's also a social and developmental challenge. Last year, the UN set a target of global universal access for 2022. For this to happen, we'll need to connect 4 billion people to the internet within the next four years. In this podcast, I want to talk not just about whether this is possible or how we can do it, but also to think critically about what access means in 2018. Is it on its own a metric that means anything? Or how does it relate to the other social structures that continue to determine people's opportunities? To discuss these questions with me, I'm delighted to welcome Sonia George, Executive Director of the Alliance for Affordable Internet, A4AI, and Head of Digital Inclusion Programs at the Web Foundation. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Can we start by talking a little bit about your work at A4AI and the Web Foundation? Sure. Um, So A4AI, as you know, is a global coalition working to make broadband affordable for all. And it's a global coalition because we are a partnership of public, private and civil society organizations really working together towards the same goal, which is quite unique. As you know, um, it's not every day that you have that kind of partnership, uh, especially working in developing countries. Um, But A4AI, the Alliance for Affordable Internet, is uh, a program led... um, at the Web Foundation within the digital inclusion program that I lead, as you just mentioned. And at the Web Foundation, um, we have a very clear, uh, not just strategy, but mission to work towards what we like to call digital equality, an open web for a more equal world, a world where um, everyone can access the web and use it to improve their lives. I mean, um, speaking to you and I hopefully your audience understands that we don't have to prove any longer that technology and access to the internet is absolutely a key element to digital life, to digital development and to um, economies and societies these days. And so for us, because of where... um, we are in the world right now at the Web Foundation, we feel that it's super important that not just um, some or the privileged have access to the web, but that everyone, regardless of where they are in the world, regardless of gender, uh, income, location, that everyone can enjoy those benefits that we um, are very privileged to enjoy already and uh, take full benefit of. So the Web Foundation works um, not just for that larger mission, but we kind of structure our goal around our work, I'm sorry, around three goals. Uh, One, which is uh, power. 
and how all people can make their voices heard equally through um, use of the internet and really become more powerful, giving their voices um, real meaning and um a productive use, of course. Uh, we also uh, want to make sure that citizens and governments um, and companies are held to account so that there is accountability in all of the players in the digital space. Um, but we also want to make sure that power accountability comes with opportunity. And it's not just about the um, idea of power or the potential of accountability, but that everyone, again, especially women and excluded groups, um, in, in different uh, countries and societies um, are not excluded and can indeed have the opportunity to gain um, economic, social, cultural um, opportunities and resources uh, that we can get from access to the internet. So that's in a nutshell, just a kind of a brief overview. But we do have very specific programs, as you know, including um, the ones from the Alliance for Affordable Internet that then address specific issues, um, policy issues, um, that uh, are necessary to be worked on to really change the picture that we have right now in the world, which is a picture that unfortunately uh, a great majority still uh, does not have access to uh, the internet and as a result uh, remains excluded and unfortunately um, we see that the, the kind of path of exclusion currently is becoming more worrying and in, in taking shapes that um, we didn't see a decade uh, ago, for example. And so it's not just about bringing people online, but also making sure that when they come online, they can um, enjoy the full benefits of access uh, through those kind of key ideas that I just mentioned, um, power, opportunity, and really accountability uh, for all of us. Amazing. I, I think that that holistic approach of, the, of those three um, goals uh, working uh, in tandem are, are, are a really sort of um, powerful framing um, for what, 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 you're, what you're trying to achieve. So you've, you've started to touch on a couple of the, the key issues here, and I want to sort of unpack um, um, uh, a, a couple of these elements. So um, we mentioned earlier um, that uh, uh, the UN has set a global um, uh, target uh, for universal access to the internet for, for 2022. Um, where do you see the sort of the impetus coming from for achieving uh, universal access? Well, I think part of it, it, it was really refreshing to see that the um, Sustainable Development Goals um, included ICTs, Information Communications Technology, as a key element, as a key cross-cutting element of the Sustainable Goals. So that's that in itself makes us start from a point where there is a clear understanding that technology, communications, and the Internet in, uh, in general, especially broadband access, is key to development of different kinds of possibilities. And so that's important um, because, as you know, that recognition was not actually there. And often we are still, unfortunately, asked why access to technology, why access to the Internet or the web, why not focus especially on access to water or energy or food or shelter, all the other basic needs that we know are absolutely critical to um, human development. 
So I think that that change in the paradigm of uh, realizing that technology and especially broadband access is key for all of these areas uh, across different sectors as a platform that allows for many of these other areas to actually also deliver on what they need to deliver from water to energy to health, education, whatnot, it's really important. So that... To me, and for us at the Web Foundation, was really key um, to change the way we can talk about access um, to the internet and the web in general. But then specifically, the impetus behind it, it's the reality that if that is the case, and in developing countries, which are the ones that um, we need to work harder to bring them up to par in terms of the sustainable development goals, if in those countries only about 10, 20, or even 30% of the population has any kind of access at all, we really far from being able to actually take full advantage of that platform to become a useful platform for development in general. And so... It, was, it became clear to everyone, and I'm hoping that in practice we're going to be able to really make change and see change uh, across different elements that need to be worked, that um, we need to make sure that that platform is available to everyone. Uh, and especially to those populations that are most marginalized and that are poor, that are rural, uh, women, and etc. So without that, they really cannot benefit from these ideas. So it's really kind of um, a cycle, right, of, um, mm. of ideas here. But the important thing is that just having that recognition, um, it was really key. And so hopefully by also including a goal around um, affordable broadband access, we will make sure that the platform that is the, the wider internet and the web and all of the related services and products that come out of it will be there with a development purpose and not simply from a purpose of, you know, developing businesses for the sake of it, but really with a development focus, which is where we want to be. I think that's great. Yeah. And absolutely. as you've, you've described that sort of shift in paradigm and the way in which, uh, Internet and the access to internet has been uh, integrated at the you know the highest sort of policy level as a as a cross cutting issue, um, and as we see every every dimension of of, of human life and, and uh, social and economic development having a now a digital dimension as either contributing factors or or challenges um, that, that that we see in, in some of the other policy work that that, that we are doing is 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 key to that. And um, one of the things you you mentioned was around. Um, you know, meaningful sort of a meaningful sort of broadband access, and and, and you, you talked uh, you know a little bit about the numbers and the reality being in, in in many countries around the world that these are these are very low percentages of of, of people that, that that have access um, to to that quality of of, of broadband. Um, what do you see as the sort of the key obstacles or challenges um, uh, to to meeting that target or meeting that goal that you, that you've described? Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, I mean, for us. 
at the Alliance and at the Web Foundation, one of the key concerns is affordability, right? Uh, unfortunately, um, and uh, you might have seen our report, the, uh, tw the latest uh, 2017 affordability report, what we've shown is that of the, of the developing countries that we cover in our research, which is about 58 now, only 19 of those countries have what we call affordable internet. So, and what we call affordable internet is uh, a one gigabyte of mobile prepaid data available for 2% or less of average monthly incomes. So if you think about it, and if you think about what you probably pay in the UK and I pay in the US, which is even less than that, uh, and we consider it expensive, imagine that uh, a large percentage of the population in the world, that not just those who live under the poverty line, but actually many who live in still poverty conditions and with limited incomes, having to pay a broadband access that is above uh, 2% of their incomes is absolutely impossible and pro prohibitive in terms of them being able to access, um, you know, the service. And so affordability remains one of the key elements that we need to work on. And unfortunately, we're really far from where we should be. we also keeping track of... Um, you know, prices and the cost of um, broadband across all of the countries that we research. And, you know, there is progress and prices are coming down. But, um, but again, in addition to the affordability of the data plans, which is really important, we also then also have to worry about other elements that are important for the full experience of having access to broadband internet. One is also the affordability of devices. You know, even if we push down the prices of data plans, if the devices remain extremely um expensive people still cannot get to those data plans so that's one and because of that we uh, do a lot of policy advocacy work around public access and different ways in which public access can be implemented and be a reality uh, anything from a very strong community networks especially providing services to uh, urban poor and rural populations as well as wi-fi solutions different kinds of spectrum alternatives that allow also for lower cost broadband provision um, and so we we tie in this reality of the barriers with what are the possible policy solutions that we advocate for and we work directly with countries to make it possible but the the barriers that we're facing um, start with affordability but they don't remain there as you know they also barriers around digital skills there are barriers around cultural and social uh, constraints that actually remain um, important and unfortunately uh, keep many people from being able to access. And most recently, and I know this is something that uh, you all at Global Partners are actually very involved in and you've done really interesting work in that area, is around... Um, know what is the the internet that people are coming to so we pushing for better prices better access better products to serve development needs but at the same time privacy security is becoming a key concern for many and the poor are no different than those who have resources they also are concerned about security and privacy and their data their information and so uh, we are also all of a sudden um, faced with questions around challenges that are very new in the sense that um, they can also prevent people from wanting to engage with the internet. And so 
it's it's really uh, um, not a very simple puzzle. It's a puzzle that is quite complex, but it's one that it's important to recognize all the pieces because each of these pieces are important to make sure that First of all, people can have affordable access, and once they have access, they can actually make the use of that access meaningful, productive, um, and really based on what each individual uh, person decides to to make of it, right? For to create, to innovate, um, uh, to do whichever they, whatever activity and task they def- decide for their own uh, lives. Absolutely, and I think that. How you've de- described that sort of supply and demand, sort of the, you know the supply factors of uh, lower cost of data and affordability of devices, etc. But also the, um, the the demand side, we need you know we need to be working on and making sure that the 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 the, the internet and those sort of the digital um, experience that people will have when they when they do when they are uh, connected um, adheres to the values and and, and and the principles in which we which we hold dear. Um, which is really interesting. Um, I think one of the, one of the key areas that I want to sort of drill down a little bit into um, is around this sort of affordability uh, question. Um, and obviously market dynamics, you know, will play an important role in achieving universal access. Um, and around the world, we've seen a number of new zero rated or like reduced cost uh, uh, products being rolled out, providing free access to underserved communities. Um, firstly, can you explain a little bit by what we actually mean um, by zero rating? Well, um, we actually have done quite a bit of research in that area, as you know, and I would urge your audience to look into it because often people get confused as to what zero rated really means. So the way I like to um, describe and clarify is that zero rated products or mobile data plans are those that anyone can have access to regardless of of their ability to pay for data plans. So a zero-rated product is one that if you have a device, so it starts with a device, right? If you have a device that is capable of having such a plan, you can then access a zero-rated product even if you don't pay for a data plan. So you do not have to engage in in any purchase of a data plan to be able to benefit from such products. And that's not the same as with other kinds of um, mobile data plans that often people confuse with zero-rated products, which are kind of special offers or uh, what we call service-specific offers. So say, for example, in the UK where you guys live, um, you often have excuse me, plans that if you buy a data plan that they give you special freebies that you get uh, WhatsApp or Facebook or another kind of app that you may use on your phone uh, that doesn't use or doesn't uh, in, in a, at all reduce your um, data allowance. And so, but in those instances, you're actually paying. So you're capable of paying for a, a product and then you get a special kind of incentive to continue paying and to use and to use more of the ones that you like. With zero rated, what's unique is that you don't need to engage in any kind of purchase to, uh, at the outset. And so you are able to, uh, to um access a zero rated product simply by having a uh, device that can have of course a connection uh, be a wi-fi connection or a mobile connection and that particular product is given a certain um, 
privilege in that people can access it without um, engaging in any purchase of a plan. Well, I hope that makes it clear. Ab- ab- absolutely, and uh, but but isn't that just isn't that the silver bullet? Isn't this like the the the, the solution to all of our? Uh, you know, universal access access challenges. Uh, the, the, there's a very rich uh, um, debate out there about the about the role of uh, zero rating products um, and the sort of uh, uh, the, the the philanthropic <clears throat> um, sort of um, ideals of, of some of the uh, some of the companies that are d- d- delivering these. Um, what would you say is sort of the the A for AI position um, on zero rating uh, products, and what role do you see them playing? in helping us achieve um, um, and this universal access goal? Mm-hmm. Well, they do have a certain role in introducing uh, some people to um, these kinds, you know, to the internet. What we've found through our research is that while they may have a role, the reality is that uh, not a whole lot of people actually first enjoy the internet from having used a zero-rated service. So that's the first thing. So based on our research, only about one in 10 people first encounter the internet from a zero rated service. For the most part, people experience the internet in many other ways, right? So that's one thing that is important. So it's not that no one comes online uh, that way, but it's a small percentage. It's still some, but it's a small percentage. But what's important for us is that it's not so much the specific uh, plan, but what consumers and users want. Once people experience the internet, what they want is access to the full of the internet, right? To the open web, as we all call it. And, um, and that's what often zero-rated plans don't provide, as we know, because they, they have a limited um, access to what the Internet is capable of providing. And they, while they may be one kind of way of getting closer to it, they actually don't provide access. And what our research has also shown is that when given the option, people by far uh, prefer access to the open web versus a restricted access to that uh, to that web or to the internet in general. And that's really important because services and products need to be developed for what users want, for what consumers want. Um, so the, the other thing that is also important, and this is why this is not just a yes and no answer, Charles, is that while there may be benefits to having that opportunity, um, you know, some of these uh, not such good um, opportunities can be limiting, right? If, if someone wants to use the internet and all they have is a very limited way of using the internet, it can be quite frustrating. And so what we've also found through our research um hopefully you all have also seen and I, and I mm-hmm. urge everyone to check on our website um, the different iterate briefs that we um, produced and published on our research but what we found also is that for the most part people that are using uh, zero rated uh, products are the savvy users that already have access to the internet or in the web and they're using zero rated services and products as a way to 
um, complement their data plans. So they basically, you know, especially users in developing countries are very, very savvy and smart on how to manage their costs. And because, as we spoke earlier, costs of internet are so incredibly expensive, in developing countries. What users have figured out is let's use all the myriad of possibilities that we have in all of these different kinds of data plans and use them the best way we can to reduce our costs. So they'll use zero-rated plans as a way to manage costs, but not necessarily as their um, entry point to the internet or not necessarily always as uh, their main access to the internet. So that has implications, right? Understanding what users want has implications. And for us at FRII uh, specifically, we are of the opinion that it is important for all of these possibilities to exist, but it is also important for all service providers to make sure that if they are going to make offers, that they shouldn't restrict those offers. That offers should be made so that users get what they want. And if users want the open web, then those offers should provide them the open web. And that should be the ultimate goal. Absolutely. I, I remember um, having, having a number of meetings with, uh, with, with some of our partners and, and um, seeing people changing SIM cards at certain times of the day to access particular zero-rated products that started at, in the evening or a particular weekend. And um, the, as you say, people are you know, trying to reduce that cost so they can, they can get, get on and access the internet. And obviously, being able to access uh, and connect to the internet is a technical prerequisite for expressing yourself online. But it doesn't alone mean that people are able to realize their economic and social potential. Um, what are the other factors uh, that we need to consider when we are thinking about access? Well, um, I think if we go back to some of the questions, some of the points that we were raising earlier, I think now some of the ones that are really concerning us at the Web Foundation are these factors around privacy and security. Um, and especially, you know, are people coming online to a web that they really want? Are people coming online to an internet that is the internet that they want to enjoy, the internet that they want to engage, an internet that it's safe, that it's private, that their data is protected, that they can interact feeling comfortable and feeling that they can express their voice, they can free to express their voice. Um, they can, of course, also... Um, associate with others that they wish to associate without any threats, without um, any risks to their lives. And so for us, that's becoming very, very important and a key element of the affordable access that we work for is constantly reminding ourselves that if affordable access is indeed, and we believe, of course, as you know, that it is indeed critical to a development outcomes, we need to make sure that that affordable access is one that respects um, all of these rights and wishes of users and consumers and humans uh, in general. And so we have a huge responsibility to make sure that affordable access is not just affordable access for the sake of it, but it comes with clear safeguards, it comes with, it comes with clear uh, you know, rules of the game that everyone, regardless of who they are, know, understand, and can feel comfortable when they use it. You know, either because they are using it to organize and advocate and to be activists in their countries, or 
to develop new business ideas that they want to make sure that no one is stealing from them or to sell and they want to make sure that uh, access to their bank accounts and to their personal data is not being jeopardized um, using online platforms because you know they all it's obviously people's livelihoods if they run businesses online so all of these um, issues are more and more important for us and uh, we want to make sure that countries and governments and and, and really also international organizations that are involved um, in our space um, can guide what are the right policies and and really regulatory frameworks that need to be in place to make sure that you know the the access and the and the open web that we all want people to enjoy to increase digital equality is one that respects all of those rights and wishes of users. Absolutely, and and, and you've you've mentioned a key and and you know a stakeholder group there, which is often. Uh, forgotten in, in, in some of these conversations, which is, you know, the international organizations. And UNESCO is currently in the process of developing their internet universality indicators using the Rome framework, rights, openness, accessibility, and multi-stakeholderism. Um, why are these indicators important? And, you know, what do you see as the role um, these indicators can play in, in, in ensuring that we achieve uh, meaningful access? Mm-hmm. Well, they're important in different ways. One, they also they, they start from a framework that, uh, as you know, is is rights based, and from the start, it looks at access from the right perspective. And that's something very new, right? That some of us have been working in this space for a long time, have done, and, and we've measured access to the internet in multiple ways. I mean, we at the Web Foundation have done it over the years, not just the Alliance through our affordability research, but the Web Index at the Web Foundation has done that over the years. And it's been really interesting, but the the reality is that that hasn't been an internationally adopted and accepted framework for measuring uh, universality um, in access to the internet, and so the Rome framework starts from that perspective, and that's a really important perspective. The other thing is that it creates a framework that is equal across all of the different countries, and I think it's really respecting also of what countries can uh, achieve with the, the capabilities that they have at the moment to measure progress in access. And I think that's really important, and that's something that the team that is working uh, with UNESCO on that um, is become is not only very aware, but ve- it recognizes that to a level of detail that is unique, and we have never seen that before in a framework that is organized and well-planned. The other thing that for us, um, and this is really important in our team, you know, some of the members of our team have actually interacted um, with the team that is developing as well, One of the things that for us is very important is that it's not only um, looking from all of these different perspectives, but it's also making sure that we're measuring universality from the perspective of gender, from the perspective of marginalized groups, from the perspective of um, the possibilities that are coming out of that access, of that universal access. And that's really unique, as you know. I mean, we still have major, major gaps in access to data um, across the world. I mean, that's why we all work on research to try to, you know, really get as much as we can and um, get to the, uh, not, not just the data that is required, but also the data that helps us understand not just how people access, but how people use, right? And this framework is integrating a lot of those concerns 
and a lot of these questions into the measuring um, activity, which is unique. So not only it starts from a rights framework, it looks at the opportunities, it looks at access and use, so the possibilities of use, and, uh, and lastly, which is key for us, is that it looks at the kind of access and use that different groups of the population across the world can have. Now, the challenge will be, once you have this framework in place, can we ensure that countries, especially, and there's, you know, uh, statistical machineries, etc., are able to collect the data, are able to share the data, and also embrace a framework that, uh, as this one, that is also based on the openness, the openness of data, the openness of knowledge, and the openness of understanding how things are evolving so that we can help each other make sure that they're evolving the right way. So it's an incredible step but it's not gonna come without challenges, as you can imagine. And I think the key challenge will be, will all countries be able to actually collect the data the way that uh, we would wish them to do so and share it openly? Absolutely, and there, and there seems to be this, um, this, this uh, the challenge of constantly shaping and um, enriching the sort of global normative framework uh, that you're, you're working towards whilst realizing that, you know, th this is a policy area which is, um, you know, a lot of the time um, national level um, debated and, and influenced. You're talking about legal and uh, regulatory frameworks in countries which need to be um, redesigned or developed or sort of pet spectrum analysis and, 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 and sort of untangling some of this unused spectrum, which is very much a national level conversation, um, whilst also sort of making sure that we have this global um, standard that we that we can help ensure we can apply globally and 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 analyze uh, different countries against the same same set of standards. Yeah. Um, I mean, thing, if you don't mind me adding, just there I, that you you know to follow up on the point that you just made. I mean, of course, we all know that the importance of data is because data is the foundation for good policy making, right? And uh, one of the things that I can tell you, I mean, we work uh, in multiple countries directly. Uh, advising governments and their and the stakeholders in the countries around different policy reforms in many different areas, including one that you just mentioned, spectrum, um, but on different issues around universal access, public access, uh, infrastructure sharing, and etc. And it's incredible to see that governments are so ill-equipped to make decisions because they don't have the data. And often it's not that the data doesn't exist, but because there isn't an international framework that combines and brings all the data together in a shareable way, governments actually don't have access. Sometimes data is kept very safe in, you know, private offices or researchers or, you know, consulting companies um, that sell the data, but the data is not uh, easily accessible to uh, those who are making decisions. And that's really a shame uh, because if you don't have the best data, you can make the best decisions. You're always making decisions based on guesses. And sometimes it works, but the reality is that often it doesn't work. So one of the things that um, to me is really exciting about having um a universal framework around data like Rome is that hopefully if everyone embraces the way embraces the way we want them to embrace it will 
also facilitate that decision-making process in a way that when countries can also learn from each other, they see, okay, my peer did these based on X, Y, and Z data that they had. Here's my X, Y, and Z data, and this is what my picture shows. What is the right policy decision, the right policy uh, framework to address my context? And they can start learning from each other in a way that is more comparable, right? Because they have the same data to understand, the same data to compare, and they can learn from each other as to as different policy actions are implemented, what works and what not, they can measure the progress and they can, it's an ongoing process of learning, but it's one that is so useful. Right now, we cannot do that. And we can do, and when we can, is very limited. And so it, it really puts us in a very bad situation. Oh. That's a really good a good point to sort of end on, and a, probably a really good sort of call to action. It's 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 such a fantastic and rich conversation, Sonia, and the the work that you've been doing at A4AI is a really good um, sort of contribution to this space in making sure that policymakers are making evidence based policy decisions. And if you want to learn more about the work of A4AI and and the research, we'll make sure that that's um, linked to the um, to this podcast on the GPD website. But just to thank uh, Sonia once again for joining us um, on this on this in beta podcast. Um, until next time. Goodbye.